Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 1st, All Saints Day, a holy day of obligation. This is the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And as always, we have a great show planned for you this morning. And in a little while, we will be talking to Father Don Lofton. Father Don is a retired priest here in the Diocese of Austin. He's been serving at St. Anthony's to fill in while Father Raj was on a sabbatical. And we're going to talk a little bit about how he came to be a priest and what it's like to be a retired priest. But before we get to talking with Father Don, I want to remind everybody we're live this morning and uh, the phone number here at the radio station is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Father Don, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. A little cold today. Yes, a dramatic difference between the 110-degree days we just went through, and now all of a sudden we're freezing. That's it. So when I came to St. Anthony's back in August... With brutal days of summer. Yes. And then now it's cold. <laughs> yes. And of the two, I normally prefer heat, but today is an absolutely gorgeous day, so Beautiful. I can't complain. No, I can't either. Now, Father Don, um, your life story is pretty interesting for a priest because we're used to hearing priests that become priests out of college and they have a vocation to the priesthood, and that's sort of their life story. Yours is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, before we talk about your actual priesthood, what was your childhood like as far as your faith life is concerned? Well, I was raised uh, in a beautiful family, mother and father that loved me. My mother was an Irish Catholic. My dad was Methodist. And... Um, we went to Mass all of the time. My dad came with us faithfully and everything for so many years, but it was a good household. I had uh, eventually had two other brothers and raised and uh, grew up. Now, did your dad stay Methodist the whole time, or did he ever convert? It was so interesting because all of those years— uh, while I was with them, uh, we were together, and uh, he didn't become Catholic. He always would come to Mass with us and uh, read books and everything about the Catholic faith, uh, but he didn't become Catholic until my brothers uh, received their first communion uh, later on. And I asked Dad, I said, why, why did you wait so long to become Catholic? And he said, well... I was reading all of the books about the Catholic faith, trying to find out that it was not the true faith. And he said, I couldn't find it anywhere. And he caved in and he became Catholic with my, when my brothers received their first communion. It was a special day in the life of my family. Now, as a young person, did you ever considered that you might become a priest? Was that in the back of your mind, or? I always uh, grew up wanting to, I met some beautiful priests, and they were so important into my life journey, my faith journey, and um, years went by, and I grew up, supposedly, 
And uh, uh, then uh, going to Austin, Texas, where my family lived at that time, there was a priest there at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Austin. And he was just like somebody that I wanted to be like. He was a great priest, and everybody loved him. And I came to know him in high school years. And then my family moved away uh, to Waco, Texas. Uh, and I said goodbye to him, thinking I would never see him again, and um, went on, and we moved to Waco, and I uh, went to school, uh, went into the service, went to college. I'm not saying which college I went to, because it could be uh, dangerous to my health here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway... uh, so time passed in there at St. Uh, Mary's in Waco, Texas, uh, the Assumption. Uh, there was a change of pastors one day, and I heard that bold voice of Monsignor John Driscoll uh, was the new pastor. And he remembered me. After 23 years, he remembered me. And he came out after that first Mass and said, Hi, Don, how are you doing? <laughs> I was in shock. And uh, he said, have you thought about the priesthood? Didn't he? I said, no, I was 42 years old at this time. And I said, the dream has passed of wanting to be a, a priest one day. And he said, uh, maybe not, maybe not. And I said, no, I'm okay. I have a house and I have a family down the street, my mom and dad. I never uh, uh, married, I dated, but it just has not happened. And so uh, then Sunday after Sunday, he kept on me over and over. He was a traveling vocations bureau for the (laughs) Diocese of Austin in those days, and he wouldn't let me go. And finally, after some discernment and a summer of pain, in trying to discern whether I wanted to give up my job, my family, and everybody, and go to the seminary was a very hard decision, but I did make it. And so uh, I said, well, where will I go? And they said, well, you'll probably go to a second career uh, seminary in Hales Corners, Wisconsin, called Sacred Heart School of Theology. And... um, so I was kind of excited. So I went home, and I was going to tell Mom and Dad about it, but I was so chicken that I didn't go to their house. I picked up the phone and gave them a call, and I said, uh, Mom and Dad, I've got something to tell you. Can you guess what it is? And they hmmed and hawed, and uh, finally they said, What? I've decided to go into the seminary. And uh, there was silence on the phone because if they had said anything about not wanting me to go, I wouldn't go. Uh, And after a while, they said, you know, Don, (laughs) uh, we always knew that you were meant to be a priest. And I said, it would have been so nice if you told me that (laughs) years ago. You know, and such a relief, uh, a burden, you know, of letting them know. And so 
I hopped in the car. So lost my house because I couldn't. It was a time when the retail market was not very good and said goodbye to friends and job and everything and hopped in the car and headed to uh, Wisconsin. Uh, so I got there. It was I was back in school again, which is a very hard thing to do. It's a beautiful place. I love the seminary and the, the fathers there and um, the regimen, the curriculum. Enjoyed it. So the first semester when I was there, I got word from home uh, about Monsignor, and he was dying of cancer. The same priest that I had said goodbye to back in the summer, and it just hit me hard. Uh, so I flew back to Waco. It was Christmas time, and I went over to the rectory and. He was sitting in a wheelchair with tubes all over the place, and we talked through the night. And I said, you know, Monsignor, I just don't know if I want to continue. And he gave me that look. <laughs> and he said, Don, I'm going to hold you to that. This is what you were meant to be. And whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter. It matters that you become a priest and ordained across the street. So we hugged and talked during the night. and uh, Very difficult. And I said, well, I don't know. And so I said goodbye, hugged him, and he died a, year, a day or two later. Well, he was shot in the gut uh, from me hard the bad Christmas mm -hmm. and so I talked and talked and talked and to mom and dad and to other people and we said no you need to you need to go back to the seminary <laughs> uh, so I went back uh, with a heavy heart and um, enjoyed four years Although Wisconsin is a little cold in the summer, in the winter time, with a foot of snow in your car that you can't get into, and all of those things, but it was a beautiful experience. I really enjoyed the, the time there. Now I want to go back to when you were talking about uh, telling your folks that you were going to the seminary, and the thought I had was that I wonder how often it happens that parents don't want to put any pressure on their sons and then miss the opportunity to provide that positive reinforcement that they would need to make that decision. Well, as I look back on it, I think that parents are that way. They don't want to force you to make this choice. They're willing for you to make it on your own. And I think that's the adult thing to do. Uh, no pressure. Right. Although mom and dad wanted me to be a priest, I knew it in my heart. And uh, such beautiful lives, and uh, I miss them very much now. But they're still around, <laughs> just looking uh, down and on this All Saints Day. Uh, and I think they're they're happy for me. 
in this time in my life. I want to remind everybody, you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. My guest this morning is Father Don Lofton, a priest in the Diocese of Austin. And um, you had mentioned that you were in the military. Uh, How easy was it for you to continue your faith life in the military, going to mass and uh, your prayer life and things like that? It was, it was good, you know, because my faith was so important in the years in the service, although I, it was a difficult time, you know, anytime, especially basic training was not the most exciting (laughs) time in my life. Uh, But even then to go to mass in the chapel there, wherever I went and, um, one day I was sitting in uh, Altus Air Force Base waiting for my orders uh, because that was the time when most of my friends and buddies were going to Vietnam. And so I'd, uh, I had, you know, just said that this was going to happen in my life too. Uh, one day, of all places, I was sitting uh, at the swimming pool uh, that day in Oklahoma, enjoying myself. And they came in and they said, you've got your orders. Uh, You need to go to the orderly room. And I said, okay, this is it. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) And I walked in the orderly room and I was waiting for them to tell me. And they told me, they said, uh, Misawa Air Force Base. That didn't sound like it was Vietnamese. And uh, I said, where in the heck is Misawa Air Force Base? And it's in northern Honshu, Japan. And I said, wow. And so the Lord was with me. (laughs) And so I went to uh, Japan for four years. And it was hard to be away from family and friends uh, during that time. But the faith was so important. And I got to go to a lot of masses in Japanese a good experience for me and my faith continued strong with that priesthood in the back of my mind always. And so uh, I came back and back and started to work in Waco, Texas uh, for 18 years until that priest came back into my life again. Now, what uh path did you follow in college as far as education? It was mainly uh, arts and sciences because at that time during the 60s, you know, there were a lot of things going on in people's lives and and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life even then. And so, uh, but still my faith life prompted me ahead, not losing hope, but as time, as I grew older and older <laughs> and uh, came back and went to work, uh, it was strong, you know, like the Lord was following, prompted me to places, although I couldn't figure out where in the heck I was going. <laughs> now, uh, what did you do for those 18 years in Waco, 
I was a materials manager for a utility company of all things uh, in Waco. Uh, it was a good job. I enjoyed it. And after 18 years is when this transpired, this change in my life. And I remember at the place that I was uh, working at one day when I told them, and this place was basically a, a, a Church of Christ and Baptist that I worked with. And I remember one day they had a party for me there uh, in my office, and they had Good luck, Father Don. And I said, wow. <laughs> From these people that knew and I'd worked with, and they knew I was Catholic and strong Catholic, and, and they were so happy for me that I had finally uh, made a decision in my life. So they wished me well, and I left. I think this is one of the things that is so exhilarating in our relationships with people is if we have a good relationship with someone, even if they don't understand the path we're on, they're going to be supportive. I remember going into my boss's office to tell him I wanted to go into formation to be a deacon. Mm -hmm. And he was excited for me in spite of the fact he wasn't Catholic and he probably didn't know what this meant. No, no. And so I am so impressed with, you know, your coworkers being excited for you. And probably they weren't quite sure why someone would do this at your stage of life. But they were supportive. They were. And even going back to school and my childhood, uh, we didn't live in especially Catholic uh, community and everything through those years because my playmates and my friends uh, the schools that I went knew I was Catholic and still we were friends and they were encouraging me as I grew up and went through uh, high school and otherwise they knew that faith was so important to me and they supported me in that that's really special the people in my life and I think that's a good view of how we can live out our faith without, as uh, Pope Francis always says, without pros uh, proselytizing. Right. Living our faith where people recognize it's important to us mm -hmm. without telling them it has to be important to you. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, that's, that's what I've seen in my life. And uh, so many people that supported me along the way and I was friends with, and in spite of our differences and our faith and everything, no, I didn't put the Catholic Church up on the top and, you know, look down on other people. They were my friends. And that's the way I think we in the church should relate to other people. Yes other faiths and religions and be accepting of other people also in their journeys. Now, you spent uh, the time in the seminary, and um, what was your ordination like? What do you remember of it? Uh, which one? The diaconate? Well, or let's uh, talk about the diaconate first. Oh, uh, it was such a, it's like the day came and 
excitement and everything and, and what we're going to do and the plans of the ceremony and the bishop that was coming and everything. And I had some friends coming from the Diocese of Austin. Uh, Father Tom Frank was one of those that came and some other people uh, that we, we knew uh, were coming all the way to Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, it was really special in the day. I was looking so forward to having mom and dad there, but uh, there was an ice storm in Dallas when they got to the airport, so they didn't get to come. So that was kind of a downer. And, uh, but uh, went through a beautiful ceremony and my, the ones that have ordained with me, uh, you know, the deacon class really special there in Wisconsin. The seminary was just a beautiful experience for me there at Sacred Heart. I want to remind our listeners again that you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Bovey, and my guest this morning is Father Don Lofton, a priest in the Diocese of Austin, whose life story is really fascinating to me. So we've talked about your ordination to the diaconate. Uh, what was that... F- year of the diaconate like for you? Well, it was really difficult because, as you know, after you're ordained a transitional uh, deacon, we were going out and preaching and everything uh, to different uh, churches in the Milwaukee area and everything. One of the things that uh, in becoming a priest that I dreaded was preaching. I said, there's no way. Maybe the bishop can make it where I don't have to preach. And uh, I came to find that that was not an option (laughs) for a deacon. Uh, And so I worked through it and had some great uh, professors and speech and everything. And and they told me, you know, what to do and when to do this and preach and everything. So... I got a lot of experience. One of the big experiences in uh, Sacred Heart is that in our second year, I think we had to do a field experience. Uh, Go out and either uh, teach religious education or help in hospitals or do other things. And I wanted to do something different. So uh, I chose to do uh, a safe house in downtown Milwaukee, uh, Sojourner Truth uh, safe house. And I traveled there to Milwaukee into this safe house, and we were to receive battered women and children for a year. And I, I tell you, that was the most profound experience for me where women and children were coming horrified at night to find a place to stay. And uh, we, we played with the children there and tried to get their minds off of their, their problems and their mothers and work with them to provide a safe environment. For, that was for a whole year, and it was the most profound thing uh, in my seminary training. And it gave me a sense of how to go out to people that were suffering and 
battered and gave me a sense of what to do to help them get through their journeys. So it was a good experience. Now, after your year in the transitional diaconate, you were ordained. Were you ordained here in Austin? No, I was ordained uh, at the place where I met Monsignor Driscoll at St. Mary of the Assumption in downtown Waco. Uh, what, a, what a great day. I was so nervous. <laughs> I couldn't sleep <laughs> for that great day in my life. And, uh, and also the, the ghost of Monsignor uh, was ever-present on that day at my ordination, and I think he was there. Uh, Bishop McCarthy ordained me. That was back May 7th, uh, 1994. Uh, at 11.14 a.m., he put his hands on my head. A priest told me that. <laughs> So that made it official (laughs) at that time. But it was so good to be back in that church with my friends and my mom and dad and my brothers and everything. It was a beautiful day. Still, it was like I was in a cloud. (laughs) (laughs) The cloud of the unknowing. Yes. uh, (laughs) Well, uh, I remember my ordination to the diaconate and that sense of, now what? Because you build up to this moment, and then you know God has a plan for you, but he doesn't tell you what it's going to be. No, it's, it's just like you're, you're wondering where to go next. And uh, I know Bishop McCarthy met me a few days before my ordination, and he said, Dawn, I <laughs> uh, guess you want to know where you're going. <laughs> And I said, yes, Bishop, it would be nice to know where I'm going and everything. He says, I'm sending you to St. William's in Round Rock, Texas. You know anything about? I said, no, I don't. I've never been there. I don't know anything about St. William's. He says, it's a marvelous place, as you used to say all the time. Uh, And uh, I'm sending you there and uh, uh, Father Louis Pavlicek. Monsignor Louis Pavlicek is the pastor there, and he needs you there. And I said, okay, well, I'm willing to go. So I headed there in June of 94 and was there for mm, six years, I guess it is. I was called a baby priest at that time, but at that time I was not a baby priest. it was a joyful place. I loved it, the people, everything. Uh, and it makes me think that all of the parishes that I've been at, there I can see the people's faces now, the ones that were kind to me and the ones that were not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they helped me on my journey of the priesthood so much because they were willing to put up with me with my weaknesses and my failings and my good points there were a few a few of those uh in life and so uh 
I was sent to St. Williams, and then I was sent to uh, St. Jerome's in Hewitt, Texas. And then I was sent to St. Luke's in Temple, Texas. And then I was sent to St. Mary in Lago Vista for a few years. And then in 2018, I decided to retire. And I I didn't want to retire, but it was a bad time. My mother had just died, and uh, other things in my life weren't going the way that I wanted it to go. And so uh, I decided to retire at 70. And afterwards, I regretted that because I couldn't just go back to my house and sit and twiddle my thumbs <laughs> and do nothing for years and years. So what gave me life was going out and filling in at different parishes. So there's been beautiful years. Now, back to your first few years at St. William's and uh, being a young priest, what are the things that stand out that were the most pleasant surprises about being a priest? Oh, wow. You know, when you mentioned I was young, I can't remember that far back. <laughs> uh, but it's it would have to be the people. It would have to be the sacraments. It would have to be when I baptized. It would have to be when I did first communions and weddings and funerals. All of those little, and confessions, don't forget that, although they've been trying at times. <laughs> uh, but those mom sacramental moments were uppermost in my heart and everything. And I think that's what gave me the grace to continue. And I'll be celebrating uh, 30 years as a priest in, uh, in May. So they've been good years. Now on the flip side, what were some of the more trying things that you did not anticipate would come your way as a priest? Oh, wow. Well, I guess it was the realization of, of funerals, talking about dying. Uh, there were times that you said, oh, I can't do this, <laughs> you know, to be with people in the moments when they're sorrowing, they're sad, they don't know. And to find the grace and the strength to be there and suck it up and help people through that journey of death and everything. I guess that's the most worst thing. And there are other moments when people didn't agree with me or didn't agree that what was going on in the church. But, you know, you just had to deal with it and work through it. And uh, there were moments I'd go home at night 
and saying, oh, Lord, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> because it was so hard to deal with some situations, especially when people, I got to tell you one thing that happened uh, uh, when I was moved to St. Jer Jerome's in Hewitt, I was uh, sitting one day, uh, I guess it was the first week I was there, and a, a lady came in and asked to talk to me. And it was before Mass. And I said, oh, what could she be? Maybe she was going to praise me or welcome me to, <laughs> to St. Jerome's. And so we, we sat down in my office, and she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, I don't like you. <laughs> I was stunned. You know, I hadn't been there but a week. And I said, well, let's talk about this. Tell me. Well, the previous pastor was Father Bill Brooks, Monsignor Bill Brooks. Uh, and he had been there for 13 years or, or more. And they loved him. He could sing and he could make people feel happy. And he gave great homilies and everything. And uh, and she said, but you, when you preach, you're not like Father Bill. You know, he always lifted us up and made us happy and told jokes and everything. And I said, well, so I tried to talk to her about the, the gospel for that day where Jesus was saying, whoa, <laughs> you know, and was unhappy with some people and everything. And so how am I supposed to make that happy, you know, and relate it to our lives? She looked at me and she said, yeah, you're right and everything. So we talked for another hour about this and that. And finally, after about an hour, she said, well, thank you, Father, for listening to me. And then she said, would you like to come over for dinner tonight? And I said, I was, I said you bet. <laughs> I'll be right over. So I, I'd won some, won over in a short time by being kind and listening to them and their complaints. And there's a lot of people with a lot of issues these days uh, that they're dealing with. And it's heavy. And to just step into that uh, time with people and walk with them and listen to them and, uh, and work through that. That's the grace of God working in my life. And he's definitely been there for me in some rough times. <laughs> now, fast forward, you're now retired. You're stepping into the role of a substitute pastor at churches sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, what is that experience like, going into a parish where you know you're not going to be there long? Well, let me go back just briefly back to uh, right before COVID hit. Uh, uh, my dad was laying near death in Providence Hospital in Waco, Texas, and we were around his bed, and uh, one day they came in and said, you need to leave. And we said, what? 
what is this about? And not only that, but you cannot come back in to see him. And we were all stunned. What was going on? And we found out it was the protocols were just starting there that day. We were stunned. And my dad laid there, and, of course, he didn't know what was going on. So we had to leave and hugged him goodbye, and he died alone. Uh, is hard <laughs> he died alone and everything and uh, so I came back to, to Waco and did his funeral and then went back to John Paul II residence for priest and we were quarantined with COVID protocols for some time it was the saddest time of my life and we were uh I was grieving. I was mad. <laughs> I was doing all of those things, and uh, and then, but eventually, I got out and visited a church and sat in the pews with my mask on, and then a priest uh, that really I liked. I, I talked to, and he suggested he come to the parish there and sit, and so I did in the pews, and then he said. One day he said, Don, you don't belong out there. You belong up near the altar with me to celebrate. So he invited me. That was life-giving and everything for me. And so I, after that, then I started, I was able to go out to parishes again. And the more I went, the more happy I, I was for those times. And I've been doing that for, golly, four years now. And people still want me back in the parish over and over again. It's amazing, you know, mm -hmm. how I started and how I ended. And I hope I haven't ended yet. There you go. <laughs> now, back to the question that I was going to ask before you uh, talked about the most difficult time about uh, especially COVID. And I don't want to talk about that. That still drives me crazy the lack of sacraments due to this. But um, when you step into the role of substitute pastor, what has been your experience of your reception from the community? Oh, people are overwhelmingly welcoming and everything. And even asking me to stay. <laughs> and I said, uh, you need to talk to somebody else about this. Uh, but being there, and, and I tell people when I come, I said, the only way I'm going to get to know you is if you invite me out to dinner. And so I'm invited out to dinner and meet with families and come to know them better and everything. And uh, so that's been a joy. But, you know, these days uh, my family is strewn to the wind. Mom and dad are gone. So the only people I have are the people that I visit with in the parishes, and they're my family now. And um, the people that you meet as a priest, substitute priest or that, how much of a family atmosphere do you feel when you, even when you step in for a short period of time, Oh, it's just a it's just a great uh, occasion to 
sit down with families and and even do funerals and um, the sacraments and everything. It's just a great joy that comes. And I can't think of anything that I would rather be doing with my remaining years is to being with the people. I'd, I'm not too good at sitting in my apartment reading books day after day after day. So with the people, they're everything. Father Don, you're probably not going to believe this, but we are down to just a minute in the interview. Well, and I could go on for another three or four hours if you would like. Uh, I am not <laughs> doubting that for a moment. <laughs> But uh, sadly, we're going to have to take a break in about 30 seconds or so. So I want to thank you very much for coming on. I think that uh, your story is fascinating for our listeners because usually we you know, are used to young priests coming into the parish. And uh, you came in in the middle of your life. But I find it fascinating that the call was there from the very beginning. It just wasn't expressed until God wanted it to be. But you don't have to keep saying young, you know, uh, that was a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, again, I want to thank you for being here. I want to invite our listeners to be back after the break for part two of the Red Sea Roundup. And we will see you on the flip side. Thank you. God bless you. All this I can I am